How are we doing, guys? Everybody good? Yeah, come on. We got a couple people that are good. My name is, uh, my name is Ben. I'm the pastor here. Welcome to uh, Grace Marietta. We're really excited about today. We've got, a, we've got a crazy fun week going on this week. So the Compassion Experience is coming this week. Uh, and starting Thursday in our parking lot, there's going to be this really amazing, incredible kind of experience for all of us to walk through. Um, part of our heart is always to um, reach out beyond ourselves. And so compassion gives us an opportunity to reach out to children that are, that are caught in poverty around the world. And so we're going to be uh, reaching out and doing some great things there. Spring Hill Camp starts tomorrow. Right here. I'm guessing this is the Spring Hill crew from Michigan. Well done. Thank you guys for joining us. We're super excited about camp this week. Uh, I think we've got like 80 to 100 kids. I don't know the exact numbers, but there's a good amount of kids that are coming this week to hang out all week with us, learn about Jesus. Awesome things going on. Um, and then today is, uh, is a special Sunday for us because we've got some guests here. You guys may have noticed at the door you were welcomed by some boys wearing basketball uniforms. Uh, we have uh, our Go Hard teams are here. Go Hard is one of our missions partners. Uh, and one of our, kind of, kind of the heart of Grace Marietta is the neighborhoods, nations, and the next generation. We really believe that the church is the only organization in the world that doesn't exist for itself. It exists to bless the community. It exists to bless the nations. It exists, exists to bless the next generation and to pour into uh, the next generation. And so about two years ago when I moved here, I got connected with this amazing program of basketball players, baseball players. Um, it's it's uh, kind of located out in the Kennesaw area. Uh, there are, I'm guessing, 80 to 100 boys involved in the program uh, who are all not just playing basketball, but learning incredible things about character, um, praying together, learning about God in the process. And there's just so many good things happening in that ministry. I wish you guys could see every week the amount of good stuff that's going on with all those young men and, and, and the training that's going on there. We've got some of the coaches that are here. I think a couple of the coaches are up top. Wave your hands there, coaches. And then we got, I think some of the other coaches are... Uh, are out getting set up. And then we got some of the players up here and all around. If you're a player for Go Hard, raise your hand. Come on, you can do it. Yeah. So here's what's happening. Um, Go Hard Academy had so many kids that we scholarshiped this year so that they could play on the teams for free for this year. We need some finances to give us a boost to get through the end of the season. Uh, and so I'm hoping that today Grace Marietta can do that, but we're not just going to take up an offering. We decided to do some fun things. So here's what's happening today. As soon as the service is over, those boys would love to wash your car, right? And so they're going to be hanging out right over here in the corner uh, of the building. And if you want to get your car washed, pull right up here and you can give, a, give them a donation for washing your car and they will wash your car on the way out of church. It's amazing what we could do at church, right? What else, what other thing is happening is we're going to be doing a cookout out back by the ball fields, uh, and we're going to have hamburgers and ice cream and all kinds of different things. If you, if you and your family want to stay and hang out, you can give a donation, get some burgers, let the kids run around and hang out, and then we're going to do a basketball game, which I, Graham Butler said, I, I'm already, I've been stretching all week. Uh, it's it's going to be between the old men of Grace Marietta and the young men of Go Hard, and so... Um, my money's on the kids, I'm just going to be honest with you. I think we'll jump out to a quick lead because I'm good, I'm good for about five minutes. 
and then I'm done because I just, it's the stamina that goes when you get older, right? Uh, and so we're going to have a, a little charity basketball game out there with some folks from the community here, with some of the coaches against some of the kids, uh, and do some other fun things that are out there. So I want to invite everybody to stay after church and hang out with us down at the ball fields. I want to invite everybody to, to help this good ministry with, what, with the work that they're doing, help them get through this season this year. And uh, we want to continue this partnership over the long term because we see all the good that's happening with Go Hard Academy. So coaches, we appreciate you. Kids, we love you. And we're really, really thankful that you guys are here uh, today. All right. How about, how about we do some preaching? All right. Uh, so this week I was in SeaWorld, I was in, SeaWorld in Orlando, Florida. Uh, my baby girl turns 10 this week. Uh, it's, she's my lab. I've got a 17-year-old, I've got a 14-year-old, and I've got a 10-year-old. So she's, she's my baby. She's my littlest. And what we've done with our kids all throughout their, their kind of journeys is when our kids turn 10, we take them on a trip without their brothers and sisters. Big time, right? So we, we, we say, you, we, wherever you want to go, within reason, right, that mommy and daddy can afford, we will take you and we will spend a few days just with you, because there's something special about a 10-year-old. Um, for those of you parents who have younger kids, what happens is 10 to 13 happens like this, and the cute little boys and little girls that are 10 turn into something else, right, uh, in like three years. And so there's something special about getting that little cute, kind of innocent, kind of wonderful time um, when they're still kids, right? And they're still joyful and fun before they just watch video games and look at their phone, right? Like that's, there's something fun about that. And so we, we, we asked her where she wanted to go. She said SeaWorld. She chose this week, which was the hottest, like, guys, are you kidding me? I'm, I'm telling you, Orlando this week was hotter than hell, right? Like, I, I am, I'm a firm believer that Orlando, like, the concrete was hot. Like, it was so hot. Um, and I think there's two types of people in the world. Like, there's, there's people who like roller coasters, and then there's me, right? There's, there's, how many of you are roller coaster riders? Like, you will get, I, that's a, what in the world? Raise those hands again. There's a lot of old people raising their hands. I, th I thought... I thought I didn't like roller coasters just because I was getting older. Because when I was a kid, I loved them, and now I just feel nauseous, right? Uh, and, and, then, and then there's two other types of people. There's, there's people that like water parks, and there's people that care about personal hygiene. <laughs> like, I'm not kidding. I, I don't have OCD. I don't, like, I'm not a germaphobe or anything like that. But when I go to a water park, you don't know what that warm puddle is. I'm just saying Right? When you're walking along and it's, it's, it's nasty, there's like little kid, you know those little kids are peeing in there. You know, you know it's happening. And so my baby girl decided this is where she's going to take the trip to Orlando, it's so hot, to roller coasters, to uh, water parks. And the first day we went to this place and, and, and they had this little vest that I had to wear all day because we were in the water with like actual animals and so we had to wear this little vest thing. And I came out of that, and I'm not kidding guys, my arms it was like somebody tattooed red on my arms. I was so sunburned. Like you could, you could point on your finger on my hand and like I was just so, so burned. And I was walking around on the hot concrete in a water park, riding roller coasters, and everything about this should have been miserable for me, 
And here's the thing. It was wonderful. It was amazing because there was this little girl. We got some pictures. Can we get those pictures going? This little girl that was just so full of joy and energy. She never slowed down. And I don't know if I'm just getting older or if she has more energy than my other kids, but she did not slow down the entire week. She just kept going and going and going and bounced from things and ran all night long. We would have to force her to go because she wouldn't get out of the pool, right? We had to like grab her and wrangle her up and get her in there. Um, but it was this amazing week. And here's what, I, here's what I realized. As a parent... There is something incredibly special about the opportunity that you have to invest in your children. Are you with me? Like there's something incredibly special about the fact that God has given me my kids for a season so that I would invest in them. I've, I've said this over and over again to the church. My number one responsibility, guys, is not to be your pastor. I love being your pastor. I love it. It's my greatest honor I've ever had in my life. I love this church more than anybody in the world. I love preaching. I love being here. I'm going to love getting worn out playing basketball today. Like, I love everything about our church. But here's the thing. You're going to have another pastor in your life. My kids are never going to have another daddy. My wife is never going to have another husband. The only thing that God has told me that I have to do while I'm here on earth is to disciple them. It's to invest in them. It's to pour into them. It's to lay my life down for my family. That's the one thing that we've been called to do. If you go over to uh, Dunkin' Donuts over here, and you walk in the door and you say, hey, Dunkin' Donuts employee, what, what does Dunkin' Donuts exist for? They're gonna give you some kind of spiel about making great donuts, aren't they? And above average coffee, right? I think that's what they're gonna say, something about that. Like, we wanna make... Donuts. I, I can tell nobody's excited about Dunkin' Donuts. That's all right. Hey, mental note, stay away from Dunkin' Donuts. As nobody wants donuts. Uh, well, if you go over to Starbucks and say, what are you doing? Like, what's, what's your, what, why are you here? At Starbucks, they're going to say, we make great coffee and sell it for more than we should, right? <laughs> if you go down the street to Foot Locker, they're going to say, we sell the new LeBrons. That's what we do. They're you, you go to any business in our community and you ask them why they exist, they can very clearly say, this is why we exist. This is what we do. But if you walked into a random church and started asking random church members, what does the church exist for? I think you'd get a million different answers. I think some people would say, well, we exist to worship. That's what we just did. Tyler did a good job. The band's pretty good. We, we exist, we worship together. That's what we do. Some people say we exist to pray. All right, we're going we're gonna to get to God. We're going to pray. We're going to spend time with him. We're going we're gonna to get into his word. We're going to teach. We're going to learn. That's what we're going to do. I think if we, if we polled the audience, there would be a million different answers on why the church exists. But here's the thing. Jesus, who, by the way, is the one that we follow, at the end of his life, in Matthew 28, said this, Matthew 28, verse 16, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus told them to go, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Here's what had just happened. Jesus is about to ascend up to heaven, right? God, you gotta have this picture in your mind. He has risen from the dead at this point, which is a big deal. Like, I've never met anybody risen from the dead. I don't know about you. He's been risen from the dead. He's about to float up to heaven, and the Bible says, and some doubted. 
There was like some guy who was like, eh, I'm not so sure about this. <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, he, it's pretty cool, but you know, who knows? Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus said to them, this is the thing he said. It's his last command. It's the last thing he says. The last thing you say to your family is the most important thing. Right? When you're, when you're talking to your grandpa on his deathbed, he doesn't say to you, you know what? I love Dunkin' Donuts. Right? Like they, they give you something important, something significant. This is the thing to hang on to. This is the one thing to remember. It's the parents walking out of the house, the last thing you say to your kids. Right? Which is usually keep your sister alive for us when we, when we walk out the door. It's the last thing. And Jesus says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is what he says. Church, here's the one thing you're supposed to do. Make disciples. Make disciples. Go and make disciples. It's the one thing that we're called to do. And so here's what we're going to do. We're starting a new series over the summer. And if you've been around Grace for any period of time, you'll know that Grace is a family of churches, which means we've got seven campuses here in Atlanta and one in Washington, D.C. Um, we're constantly growing and expanding. In fact, at Pentecost this year, we're praying about where God is leading us next. So next Sunday, if you're going to be at Midtown, we're going to be praying about where that next campus is and what God's up to next and celebrating some of the fun things there. I think there's some fun announcements and some cool things going on there about that. And so we're always looking to grow and expand. But with this, this group of campuses, and so over the summer, what we do is we kind of rotate campuses. And so over the next uh, eight to ten weeks, I will be bouncing around from to all the other campuses, and some of the other campus pastors will be bouncing around here. And so you'll get to meet some people from some of our other campuses who get to hang out with us and spend some time with us. It's an awesome, awesome time for us to understand that Grace is this big, giant family that's doing something bigger than what we're just experiencing here. It's really, really fun to be a part of. It's also great for me because I only have to prepare one sermon for the whole summer. That's just, I'm just throwing that out there, but I get, I get to preach it eight times, but by the eighth time, it's really good, right? It's, it's great by then. And so that's what's going to be happening, um, and, and, and so what we're going to be talking about is this idea of make. What does it look like for us to be people who make disciples the way that Jesus made disciples? And each week, we're going to talk about a principle of discipleship that we see in the life of Jesus. Because here's what's happened in our culture. We've kind of divorced the words of Jesus from, from, the, from the methods of Jesus, right? We've divorced his message from his methods. And, and we love to study his words. We love to study what he says. But we don't spend a ton of time looking at what he actually did. I, I believe that Jesus would find the American church a little foreign to him. I believe that Jesus would be concerned about our individuality, our consumerism. I, I think he would come into it and say, well, this isn't really what I did. Why are y'all doing this? Because what he asked us to do is what? Go and make disciples. What we've done is we've come and gathered in a church. And so there's, a, there's all these sets of principles, but let's start. So I, today, I just want to start with defining what does it mean for us to make disciples? Why do we make disciples? How do we make disciples? Let's start with just these really simple things. So Dallas Willard, who's kind of my favorite like, theologian in the world, some people have like heroes that are like basketball players or athletes or rock stars. Mine are like old theologians. I'm, I'm that nerdy. Um, and so Dallas Willard is like my hero. Here's what he says about discipleship. 
Discipleship is being with another person under the appropriate conditions in order to become capable of what that person does or become like what that person is. So an apprentice of Jesus is learning from him how to lead their life as if they led their life if he were they. Becoming a disciple of Jesus is living the life that Jesus would live if he were you. If Jesus lived in your neighborhood, how would he live? If Jesus went to your school, how would he live? If Jesus worked at your workplace, how would he work? What would he do? What would happen in those places? And discipleship is the process of helping others discern what Jesus would do if he were them. It's walking beside people, helping them hear from the Lord and obey what the Lord is saying. Mark chapter 3 verse 13 says, Jesus went up on the mountainside. And he called those of him who he wanted, and they came to him. This is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, right? So we started with this mountain at the end of his ministry. This is a mountain at the beginning of his ministry. And so the first thing that the Son of God does when he comes to earth, the first thing that he kicks off with is he gathers a group of people together. He calls them up onto a mountainside. And then it says he appointed 12. He appointed those 12 so that they might be with him. And he might send them out to preach and to have the authority to drive out demons. There's three things that are happening here. This is discipleship. First thing that happens is Jesus invites people in. He invites people in. The second thing he does is he says he invites them to be with him. And the third thing is he sends them out. This is the process of discipleship. And the key question for us is if we're standing on that mountaintop with Jesus and Jesus is getting ready to send us out and he says, I want you to go and make disciples, do we actually know what to do with that? Do we actually know what it means to go and make disciples? Do we actually have a plan for that? Do we actually feel equipped to do that on our own? Or would we sit around and say, I don't, I don't know how to do that. I don't know what that looks like. Because I believe this, the church is an equipping center. The church's job is to equip the people of God to go and to love and serve the world. And so our job is to train everybody in this room to go out so that you can love the world. We gather together on Sundays, not so that that's the pinnacle of our week and it's the one thing that we do. We gather together on Sundays so that we can be together to encourage each other to go. We exist outside of ourselves. We're always pointing outward. We're always reaching out. And we're always asking the question, what would Jesus do? And what Jesus did first, his first strategic move, was he called everybody together. He could have started preaching because Jesus was a good preacher. Have you read the Bible? It's, he's good. Like people are still talking about it now, right? Remember that sermon Jesus preached? That was a good one, right? I can't get people to remember my sermons three weeks later, right? This is, this is thousands of years. Like, he's a, he was a great preacher. He, he could have opened a training center. He could have started a food kitchen. He could have started a healing and a prayer ministry. He could have started all of these things. But what Jesus did was he gathered 12 young men and he said, I'm going to invest in you because I believe when I invest in you, the return will be greater than anyone could ever imagine. That's why I love Go Hard Academy, guys. What all the coaches believe is that when we invest in these young men now, there's going to be a return on that in the future. 
We're not building better basketball players. We're building husbands. We're building fathers. We're building young men who are going to go out and are going to change the world and make a difference because they have been in touch with somebody who knows Jesus and has walked with him. That's what transformation looks like. If you, if you build a church, you might get disciples. But if you make disciples, you always get the church, guys. If disciples are being made, the church is always happening. If we're pouring into the next generation, the church is always happening. And it reproduces and it grows and it multiplies throughout the year. And in Mark 3, the history of God's people had been there are 12 tribes. Right? There's 12 tribes of Jewish people, and these 12 tribes represent the whole of God's people, and they try and follow God. What Jesus does is he says, no, 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 no. It's not going to be about the 12 tribes. It's not about what tribe you're from. It's not about what nation you're from. It's not about what community you're from. What we're going to do is we're going to find 12 people who live and walk with Jesus and represent him, and that's what the church becomes. The church becomes the people who walk with Jesus and represent him. There's a turning of the page here where Jesus is saying, no longer is it about your tribe, no longer is it about your nation, it is now about the people of God coming together under one mantle, and that mantle is Jesus Christ. And so they followed him, they were with him. So here's what happened really, really quickly. Why we make disciples is this. It's, it's, it's the only way that we can reach the world. It's the only way it happens is when we multiply and grow. And in our culture, we've got this kind of quick, downloadable, fast, and easy kind of everything. Everything comes easy to us. And discipleship doesn't. It's long obedience in the same direction. It's hard work. It's investment. And the church needs to be the one community in the world that embraces the fact that discipleship takes time and investment. Jesus invested three years in 12 men. That's the model of ministry he left us with. What Jesus did was he invested in the few so that he could get the crowd. What we do in the church is we invest in the crowd hoping we'll get a few leaders out of it. And so we invest in a few believing that, that discipleship is not microwaved. It's not this fast-acting, quick-downloadable thing. It's the church. It's God's people being together week after week, month after month, being in each other's homes, connecting with one another, loving one another, praying for one another, teaching each other. Because here's what happens, especially for our young men and young women, is what we have to teach them is often caught before it's taught. It's something that happens because you're with somebody for a long time, because you see how they respond to adversity, because you watch them in struggle, because you see how they act, and all of a sudden what begins to happen is the character of the people you're with starts to rub off on you. I always tell my boys, you will be the sum of your relationships. You show me your friends and I'll show you your future. I believe that without a shadow of a doubt. Show me who you're spending time with, and I will show you what your future looks like. And if you're spending time with a bunch of people that are pulling you down, dragging you down, telling you what you're not, calling you all kinds of things, you're going to become them. But if you get around a group of people who lift you up, who encourage you, who love you, who urge you on, who call you to something greater, you're going to become the type of person who does the same thing. Positivity breeds positivity. Are you with me? And so discipleship does not happen by osmosis. It's not just this thing that happens where if I just spend some time with somebody, they're all of a sudden going to become a disciple of Jesus. 
Discipleship happens by investment. Jesus' first miracle is turning water into wine, which is pretty cool. Come on. Yeah, a couple, a couple of you excited about that, right? Yeah. That's, so Jesus is at the wedding party. Everybody's kind of hanging out. The wine is running out. Jesus doesn't want his friend to be embarrassed. So Jesus says this. He says, hey, you guys, go take these pitchers of water. And we imagine like these little pitchers like you have at a restaurant, you know what I'm talking about, where they do the refills. What the pitchers actually would have been are these big, giant basins that are about this tall. They're these enormous kind of basins that were filled with water and wine that would be stored in like a quiet, calm, like cool place, and and they would store it there, and then they would bring it up for the wedding. So it was this enormous task for them to go fill these basins up with water. Here's the thing that happens sometimes. Sometimes what we want is we want Jesus to do a miracle without us pouring the water. We want a miracle to happen before we do the preparation. We want something incredible and amazing to happen before we do the grunt work that's involved. Here's what I've learned throughout my life. Every time I see Jesus do a miracle, every time God breaks through and something incredible and amazing happens, it happens because there's been people that have been tilling the soil for a really long time, who've been filling the basins with water, who have listened and obeyed and walked with him and done what he says, and then the miracle happens. And so discipleship is the work of filling the basins. It's the work of filling ourselves up with him. It's the work of filling ourselves up with good things, with the positive things of God. It's the work of of following him and obeying him. It's the work of studying our Bibles. It's the work of getting in here and understanding that this isn't just some kind of old book, but there's something in here that is living and acting and moving and powerful and life-changing and transformative. And so we do the hard work of filling up these basins because we trust that when we do, something good is going to happen. So how do we make disciples? The first thing that Jesus did was he invited people in. He just simply gathered some people around him and he said, come and see, follow me, I will make you, go and make. Those are the four invitations of Jesus. The first one is, hey, just come and see. I wonder what would happen in a church if we just started becoming a come and see people. If we just started inviting people into our life. I'm not talking about just inviting them here on Sunday. I'm talking about inviting them into our life. Like we come across some friends and we invite them to journey with us. Come have a cookout with us. Come hang out with us. Come to dinner with us. Come spend time with us. Come and see who we are. And then the second is follow me. I actually think that I've learned some things through the word of God that would be valuable to your situation right now. I actually think that God's given me some wisdom that I can impart for you right now, and I'd love to share that with you. I'd love to talk about that with you. I will make, I actually believe that by spending time with me, something's going to happen in you. I actually trust in the power and the authority of God that when you get around godly people, when you get around the Holy Spirit, when you start to see how God is moving and working, something transforms and something changes. And then the last is go and make. I'm going to send you to go do the same thing that I did with others. And everything multiplies and reproduces. Because here's the thing. This is, this is hard work, and we don't understand hard work in our culture anymore. Like if, I, if I wanted to become a, a marathon runner, I'm terrible at running. Anybody else hate like running long distances? I, I, 
I keep getting chubby, and then I want to run, but I hate running, and so then I just get chubby. Uh, so I, I'm in this cycle. Uh, and, but but if, if I wanted to run a marathon, I could go and I could buy a bunch of books about running a marathon, right? I could buy... I don't know, uh, Chariots of Fire, right? I could buy, I could buy who, what's that guy's name? I could buy all his books. He's probably written a book. He's got a movie, right? I could, I could buy that stuff. I could buy like the, the technique of marathon runners, like how to do it. I, I could go to Dick's Sporting Goods and I could buy all the gear. Like I could get the, the shirt that, that you can sweat through. I could get the little jello things that you're supposed to squirt in your mouth. I'd get a fanny pack, right? Uh, runners, can I just say, how many of you are runners in here? Can I just say men, men who are runners, put your hands up real high. Can we stop with the short shorts, guys? <laughs> I could buy the short shorts, though. I could, like, nobody wants to see that, but I could buy those and get the little tight running shorts. I, I could do all of this stuff, but I'm never actually going to become a runner until I actually run. And when I first start running, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to stink at it. And I'm going to, you know how you get that steel taste in your mouth? Like I'm going to have side stitch. My knees are going to hurt because I'm old and my ankle's going to hurt. Like I'm going to just start falling apart when I run. But as I begin to run and as I do it daily and weekly and monthly, I build up stamina. I build up strength. I become competent in what I'm doing. The same thing is true with discipleship. I want you to know that anything worth doing is worth doing badly at the start. They, they surveyed a bunch of little kids in a classroom and they took this elementary school class and they said, how many of you are great musicians? And every kid in the room raised their hand. Every one of them. I'm like, what do you play? Well, I don't really play an instrument, but I'm great. What do you play? I've got a kazoo at home, right? I've got a harmonica. Every kid was like, I'm a great musician. And then they went to a high school and they took the senior class and they said, how many of you are great musicians? And like one kid raised his hand. We live in a culture that is afraid to try. We live in a culture that is afraid of long obedience in the same direction. And Jesus said, invite some people into your life and let's see what the Holy Spirit does. The second thing that he does is it says they were with him. He called them to be with him. I, I think hospitality is a lost art in our community. We've become, we used to be front porch people. Everybody would be out on the front porch. Everybody would interact. We would know our neighbors. Everybody would know what was going on in the community. We've become back porch people, and we've all got privacy fences. One of the greatest things that we can do is actually open our lives up to be with people. I'll be truthful with you guys. My calendar is nuts right now. And I know that like I have to do the hard work of just being with people. I've got to make space in my life for that. And so a lot of my conversations right now has been the discipline for me of how do I get out of some of these other things that I'm doing so that I can actually be with people. Because I think that's the important work. Like, I actually believe on most weeks what happens for me at a coffee table with somebody that I'm praying for or in a home with a family that I'm meeting with is much more important than what happens right here when I'm preaching. And I've got to figure out how do I make space in my life to do that. We, we live in this world where we're going so fast and we're running from thing to thing and we're driving our kids everywhere that we don't even have space for relationships. 
We don't even have space to be with people. We've got to clear the calendar sometimes and say, today, I'm just inviting some people over and we're just going to, we're going to cook out some burgers and we're going to hang out and we're going to laugh and we're going to talk. We're going to pray together. We're going to see what God's doing. We're just going to be together. And then the last thing he did is he sent them out. No one trains not to play. Like all those, I asked the boys that are playing basketball right now, none of them would be playing basketball for GoHard if we never played games. If all we did was work out, there might be three of them that would do it, right? The hardest working ones. I won't tell you which three, right? There might be a few of them that are like, I'm in, but everybody else is going to, no, they want to play in the games. And what we do in the church is we gather together every single week to be trained. We gather together every single week to practice. And then we don't go out in the world and do anything with it. We don't ever play games. And so what happens is the church is atrophied. Right? Our muscles are stiff. We don't know how to lead. We don't know how to love. We don't know how to make disciples. We don't know how to share the word of Jesus. We don't know how to do any of these amazing things that God's called us to. We don't know how to bless and serve and care. All of these things that we're, ask us, we're asked to do because we think that all obedience is is showing up on Sunday. Can I just be honest with you? I would rather you not show up on Sunday and that you go love the world if you have a choice between the two. We are called to be sent. We gather together so that we can go. We are the people of God, and when the people of God fail to bear fruit, the world goes hungry. Really quickly, I've talked for too long. There's this terrifying passage at the, end of the, uh, at the beginning of Judges. In Judges, Joshua, who was a great king, conquered the promised land, did all of these amazing, incredible things. He, he, he led his community in faithfulness. And in Judges chapter 2, Joshua passes away, and here's what it says. And sometimes there's verses in Scripture that just terrify me, and this is one of them. It says, and the people that served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen the great work that the Lord had done for Israel... And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. He must have been living right. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Tinmath Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north to the mountains of Gash. That's just all confusing stuff. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And here's the terrifying thing. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. Joshua who is the faithful conqueror of the promised land, who was the leader that Moses put in charge to say, you're leading the charge, who was faithful and followed God and saw God do amazing and incredible things, right? Joshua did everything right except raise up the next generation. And can I just suggest that I think there's a bunch of churches out there who are faithful, who love God, who are serving, who are blessing, who are praying, who are teaching his word, who are doing a lot of great things. But if they neglect raising the next generation, then a generation is going to grow up next who does not know them. The evidence of our faithfulness is our children. The evidence of what God is doing in us is the life that our kids live. And I want to build the biggest stool that I possibly can to lift them up as high as I possibly can, to give them every advantage I possibly can to follow Jesus and to follow him well. I want to lay down my life so that my kids know him. 
I want my kids, when they're faced with temptation, I want them to know that their daddy has fought and bled and battled so that they would know Jesus. I want our heart to be for the next generation, guys. I want our heart to be that every single one of those young men up there knows Jesus, loves him, and walks with him. I want our heart to be that every single kid at Wheeler High School comes to know him and that revival breaks out in that school because we've been praying for him for year after year after year after year. Like if we're not raising up our kids, what are we doing? Getting another promotion? Buying a little bigger house? Taking a trip to SeaWorld? Like, there is nothing else that matters for us except making disciples who make disciples. It's the number one thing God's called us to do. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what it looks like for us to do this. Because the command is for the church, and the church is us. And the real simple challenge over the next coming weeks that I want to throw out to everybody is I want everybody to begin to think about who is the young person that I'm investing in? Who is the young person that I'm pouring into? You might be 15 and you need to be investing in a 12-year-old. You might be 12 and you need to be investing in an 8-year-old. You might be 75 and you need to be investing in a 6-year-old, right? Lord knows I need people investing in me. We need to be this community that's asking the question, who's your Paul and who's your Timothy? Who's the person that's pouring into you and who's the person that you're pouring into? What does it look like for us to invest in the next generation? And over the next eight to 10 weeks, we're gonna dive in every single week about specific ways that we can meet this challenge, specific ways that we can become the church, specific ways that we can actually go and become the people of God. And my prayer, guys, from the day that I arrived here, is that we're not doing church. We're not just filling up a room on Sunday, but we're creating a movement of multiplying disciples that changes the world. And here's the thing. I'm crazy enough to believe that it can happen. I'm crazy enough to believe that the power of God poured out among us can change this community for the better. We, we keep saying this over and over and over again, but I think the next generation is gonna be better because of what God does in here. I think there's gonna be less foster kids in Marietta because of what we do in here. I think there's gonna be less poverty in Marietta because of the work that we do in here. I think God is gonna raise up people who begin to start missions and ministries. I think God is stirring things in every single person in this room's heart. He's awakening dreams of the kingdom. He's calling you to something greater than yourself. He's asking you to reach out. He's asking you to love. He's asking you to serve. He's asking you to be generous. And the question for every single one of us is are we gonna say yes or are we gonna say no? Are we gonna keep kind of moving through life sleeping? Are we gonna wake, oh sleeper, to the love of God? Are we gonna rise from the dead and let the love of Christ shine on us as Ephesians 4 says? So my prayer, guys, and my hope is that we would be people that are awake to the presence of God, that we would be people that are listening when he stirs, and that every single week we would gather in here and tell stories of how God called us out, that we would encourage each other to go, and that we would love each other well. So I'm gonna pray, 
And as I pray, we're going to enter into a time of communion where you can come to the front. We just have some bread and some juice. You just take the bread and dip it in the juice. Just an opportunity for us to remember what Christ did on the cross for us. And so as we take the bread, we remember his body that was broken for us. As we take the juice, we remember his blood that was shed for us. And as we do all of this, we remember that we all belong to the same table, that we all come to the same table to feast every single week, and that we are a people who are completely dependent on the love and the, and the movement of the power of the Spirit. So Heavenly Father, I pray that you would teach us to make disciples. I pray that you would empower us and equip us, that you'd give us wisdom, that you'd give us direction and guidance. I pray that you would love us and teach us and train us. And I pray that when you call, we would be a people that say yes. That when you invite us to be generous, we would be generous. When you invite us to love, we would love with big hearts. When you invite us to serve, we would serve faithfully. When you invite us to be disciplined, we would dive in and do the hard work. Lord, teach us to do long obedience in the same direction. Teach us to follow you, not just in short spurts and short sprints, but teach us to follow you for the long haul. And our commitment to you, Jesus, is that you will get all the praise and all the glory. So we thank you, Jesus. We worship you now. We invite your Holy Spirit to move and to speak in our midst. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.